for once in a lifetime. You need to never stop improving. The constant focus on individual growth. How will you be financially free? Welcome to the Empower Podcast. All right, Nate, we are live. This is going to be kind of different. Usually we have our podcast set up. You can see I'm in the podcast room and we're kind of going back and forth podcast style. And we usually have everybody listening via Zoom and they kind of chat in questions. So if they have any questions, they just throw it in the chat bar and then we get to them. But this time you and I are both going to be over Zoom and but I still want them to use the chat bar for questions. So guys, anybody that's listening, if you guys have any questions about anything Nate says that we talk about like on the podcast style, then throw them in the chat. We'll get to them. We'll answer them when we, when we can. But we'll just go back and forth. That way, Nate, we're not getting always interrupted by different people all the time and kind of off topic, if that makes sense. We'll kind of filter them at the right time. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, Nate, thanks so much for your time, dude. So stoked to have you on. Excited to have you. Obviously, you and I have been longtime friends for like five years now or something like that. But I want everyone to get to know you. Obviously, we know you're a Jordan fan. The little intro on Nate, guys, is he's an accountant. He has been doing accounting for, I would say, 20 years, 20 plus years now. And he deals with very successful people. He works for a company, he's a partner, I shouldn't say works for, he's an owner partner in a company called Corporate Capital. And they specifically help companies that are kind of mid-size or like high wealth individuals do their accounting, do their taxes. Is that right, Nate? Yeah, so we're kind of a one-stop shop. Um, but the core of our business is accounting and tax. When I say one-stop shop, we'll form LLCs and corporations. Um, we'll, we have an attorney that can write trusts. Uh, what else? We're registered agent, which if you don't know what that is, each state, whenever you have an LLC or a corporation in a certain state, they're required to have a registered agent that resides in that state. So we've got presence throughout the, the country. So in all 50 states, we can be registered agent. Um, and yeah, again, you know, the core of our business is accounting and tax, tax strategies, that sort of thing. So, so you guys I enjoy consider, the business aspect. I mean, you're, you really are, you're interesting because you're not just a tax guy in my eyes. You're like a businessman, like an all around businessman. I go to Nate guys with so many things. I call him at least once a week. We catch up, we talk. I don't think he wants to call everybody on this call once a week, but I call him once a week. And I ask him questions about business, about career paths, about future, about stock plans, about all, everything that we do at Empower, Nate has a plan because I talk to Nate so often about different things. And you're kind of a consultant as well as a tax guy, as well as can do bookkeeping, as well as can do everything. But if these guys came your way for help, who would they really be working with? I mean, at Corporate Capital, you guys have a, quite a few different employees now. So how does that process work? If someone needs help with accounting, needs help with taxes, they need the one-stop shop for all things bookkeeping, what's that process going to look like, like start to finish, if they decide to call you guys? Yeah, so I've, I've dealt with a number of, of the guys in your group already, and um, a lot of people will come to us initially to form an LLC or an S corporation. Um, so typically what happens is we've got a department that specializes in that. They do that you know, day in and day out. And so I would refer whoever that is over to that department. They get you set up uh, in regard to taxes and accounting and tax strategies. Um, we've got several CPAs that work with us. 
Um, so whether it's me or somebody else, you know, you, you're taking care of. One of the things that we really take pride in is generally when people say accountant, you think, you know, uh, someone without a personality, very, you know, black and white as far as this is what you do, this is what you don't do. We are very, very business oriented, like Jake was saying. I enjoy business a lot more than I do tax. Um, I do a ton of tax returns, but it, to me, it's a byproduct of what we do throughout the year. So if we are uh, setting up an LLC or an S corporation or whatever it is, there's a reason for that, why we're setting up one or the other. And we're already doing tax planning the moment we set that up. So a number of you guys have come and said, you know, I'd like to set up an LLC or an S corp. And anybody that's talked to me will know that I, I'll ask questions because it's not always good to set up one or the other. There's a reason why you want to do one or the other. And, and every situation is different. There's never a one size fits all in regard to business and individuals. So it's literally taking the time to figure out where you're at, where you're going and what's going to best help you. Dude, I think it's an interesting thing that I've heard you say over and over again, guys, I call Nate and I'll complain about taxes. And he's like, dude, what you got to understand is when you make money, you pay taxes. Like it is what it is. It's not a bad thing. But Nate is in, like Nate and his whole firm is amazingly good at having that tax liability go down, helping you have different avenues and different like gateways into savings. But it is what it is, right? So Nate, in your opinion, all these guys on this call, I've heard literally, I've heard our employees say, I should probably stop working because I've made so much money. I don't want to pay more in taxes. Like, what's your opinion on that? Is that crazy or what? Yeah, so young or old, people say that to me all the time. And to be blunt, you're an idiot. Because <laughs> here's why. You, you're making, let's say you make $100,000. You're not paying that full $100,000 to the IRS. You know, a typical single uh, filer is going to pay 18%. That's in federal and then state on top of that. And every state varies. Uh, Utah is like a flat 4.95, I think is what it is. Um, so you're going to pay, you know, let's say 23% if you make $100,000. So what people are telling me is that, okay, I don't want to make another $100,000 because I don't want $75,000 in my own pocket because I don't want to pay the IRS $25,000. You can see why that thinking just, it's asinine. Um, so Jake will testify that I tell him all the time, look, I don't feel sorry for you. You're making good money. You're going to pay a lot of money in taxes. Now we're going to do whatever we can to whittle that down. So you're only paying your fair share. Um, but yeah, you're going to pay a lot of tax if you make a lot of money. Welcome to the United States. Like, <laughs> that's the way it, works. it is what it, that's why we have roads and schools and everything else that we have. Right. And I think that a lot of guys on this call right now, it's August, almost the end of August. So most of our employees, Nate, they've been working since February. And then some, some have been working since May. So it's either been like four or eight months for a lot of our employees. And they've probably made 100, 150, 200K at this point in the year, maybe more. If you were just gonna give them like a really rough ballpark estimate, how do you figure out how much you potentially are gonna owe in taxes? Like how does the whole tax bracket thing work? How do you kind of, on a really just basic level, how does that work? So the United States has what you call a progressive tax system, which means if you look at the tax bracket, it's going to range anywhere from like 10 to 37%. 
Um, and if you pull up a tax bracket, which I would encourage you guys to do, I can tell you right off the bat, just because it's always something I refer to people as if you're making a hundred thousand and, and when I say a hundred thousand, that's taxable income. So if you guys are getting your 1099s and it's a hundred thousand dollars, that's not going to be your taxable income. You're going to have deductions off of that. You're going to have standard deductions, different things are going to take that down automatically. Um, so when I'm talking about these numbers, I'm talking about bottom line after all your expenses, all your, your taxable deductions and exemptions and credits, when it's a hundred thousand dollars, if you're single federal, you're going to pay 18% roughly. Um, if you're married filing jointly, it's going to be 13 and a half percent. So again, you're going to have state taxes, depending on what state you work in. I know a number of your guys are from Alaska. So Alaska doesn't have state income tax. So they're just looking at the federal portion. Um, Utah again, you know, you're at, I think it's 4.95. Um, so you're, you're looking at that number. If you ever look at, if you really want to know where you're going to be again, figure out whatever that bottom line is, meaning after all your deductions, you're going to, you're going to end up to be X. Take that number, look at, pull up like a 2021 federal tax bracket. And you'll see, you know, these different categories. It'll say like zero to 9,900. And then from 9,901 to, you know, whatever the, the exact number is. So you're just putting like your first 9,900 at 10%, your, your second amount at that percentage was 12% and then so on and so forth. So it's easy to figure. Obviously, we've got software that does it quick, um, but we can do it by hand if we need to. Um, but you guys can do that as well. Uh, it's not rocket science. Taxes are taxes. At the end of the day, you've got percentages to go off of and you can just calculate it. But just make sure that if you're looking at the numbers, you're not going all in in one specific tax bracket. So again, the first roughly 10,000 goes in one bracket, the next roughly 30,000 goes in the next bracket, and then you take all those and average them together to come up with your, your taxable. So really roughly for these guys, what you'd want to do is you'd want to say, okay, how much money am I making? How much money have I made currently right now? And then you could look at the tax brackets and even without write-offs, you could say, okay, worst case scenario, I'll pay this percentage of taxes, right? And then you can say, but on top of that, we'll write stuff down to make it a little bit worse. But you can get the worst case scenario really easy without write-offs or anything. Like the worst, worst case scenario, just by looking up on Google, right? And say, what tax bracket am I in? It pulls them all up. You find out you made 200K. Okay, well, you're in the 30% tax bracket or whatever, right? And you don't even need to do all the math until you want to get exact numbers or more technical. But that's when having a firm to help you is coming in play. Like, right? That's when you really want someone to take that from you because what you guys do is you guys can offer bookkeeping where you can literally look at all your expenses all throughout the year and you can keep track of everything and you can figure out the write-offs for the company or for the individual, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, just to use Jake and his example. So like he said, you know, we've known each other for a little while. He's been working with Empower for quite a while. I just barely got him to start doing bookkeeping because when we filed his taxes this last year and he's trying to remember you know what these expenses were and what they were for couldn't remember if it was personal or business it comes into play you know so keep track of it and the longer you go without tracking it the harder it is to make sure that you're doing doing it correctly and, and capitalizing I, I told Jake that 
I feel like he lost out on, on money last year because when we sat down to do his taxes, his taxes, we were kind of guessing on some numbers and we were probably a little too conservative. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the problem. I'm never going to go to where I feel like I'm stepping over the line. Um, I want to walk that line as much as possible. But when it's like, a, well, I'm not sure if it's personal or business, and I'm going to say, well, you probably should go use it as a personal expense rather than a business, and we can't write that off. For sure. Last year, Nate and I were going through my taxes, and I actually went to his house with him, and we spent like three or four hours working on taxes. And it was just so funny because, in all honesty, literally a lot of things that were on my credit card, I couldn't remember why they were there or what they were or what I was doing or whatever else. And I learned the hard way that I was missing out on stuff. And so Nate, just really quick, like what are a few very, very typical write-offs or what are some things as a 1099 contractor, which all of our employees are, what are some things you can write off that maybe you guys don't know that they should be keeping track of? Like for one, a, a tip that Nate told me is he said, get a credit card, get a business account, which I did years ago, and get a credit card and use the same credit card always for all of your business expenses. And that's what I've been doing. And obviously I've, I've learned a lot just working through you and being in business last four years and seeing what's going on. But I use my credit card for everything and some things that I buy, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is a lot of food can be expensed. All the clothes you wear can be expensed. All the gas you use to get around can be expensed. Your car can be expensed. Your, your miles in your car can be expensed. Um, any like notepads or computers you need to buy can be expensed. Those type of things, right? Yeah. So what I always tell clients, and I get this question all the time, um, if you can justify it as a business expense, write it off. You know, and people will say, well, I don't want to be audited. Don't be afraid of an audit if what you're writing off is legit. It is what it is. You know, if you've got a ton in auto expenses that's outside of the norm, as long as it's legit, who cares if you're audited? You can yeah. easily provide the, the documentation to show that it's legitimate expense. It should be written off. Um, the IRS isn't as scary as you think they are unless you're trying to pull a fast one, unless you're you know trying to commit fraud or trying to do something you shouldn't. Generally, what will happen is if you're audited nowadays, you get a letter from the IRS that they'll ask, okay, you claimed 50000 in auto expenses. We need the backup to that $50,000. Um, say don't be afraid and when you're talking about general expenses again anything business so obviously you need your cell phone to conduct business um, a lot of you guys are renting places you know as you're out in california or florida or wherever you are so the rental would be an expense because it's outside of your norm you're just going somewhere temporarily to to work now if you live there and it's your residence where you know, you actually live in California and you're a resident of California. That's different than if, if you are from Utah, you're going out to work in, in California for a few months or whatever it is. Um, so there's, there's variances there, but again, anything you need for business. So Jake had mentioned clothes, obviously you're not going to write off every piece of clothing you buy, but if it's something where you buy it for work in order to go out, and you know have some sort of sales meeting where you go into someone's house and and you've got if it's a shirt and tie or if it's required or whatever you know that sort of thing can be written off and and it's justifiable so everybody's different like i said earlier every situation's different but just in your mind think okay i have to have this for my business now i may use it personally 
Like a cell phone's a great example. If you read the letter of the law from the IRS tax book, it will say you need to divvy out personal versus business when you co- when it comes to using your personal cell phone. My argument to that is that regardless of how much you're using a personal and business, if you didn't have that cell phone, you wouldn't be able to conduct business. So 100% of it can be deducted. Um, I'd argue that all day long, and if any auditor ever you know, denied that, then I think you would have a very, very good stance saying, I mean, zero cell phone, zero business. So, you know, it is For what sure. it is. For sure. And there's, I mean, even like clothes and stuff, you can be kind of liberal. Like you could buy a jacket, wear it one time when you're out knocking doors because you needed it when it was cold and that's a write-off, right? Like as long as you can say, I bought it for this reason and that's why I'm wearing it. Sorry, I kind of cut out. I don't know what you said there. What'd you say? I just said, yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. And again, just be smart. Don't try to, try to, you know, write everything off. It's, it's going to catch up with you eventually. So you just want to be... Um, not conservative, but honest, you know, be honest with the IRS and, and while being honest, you have the ability to write these things off because they're legitimate business expenses. So don't be scared. And that's one thing, Nate, that I think is really, really nice about bookkeeping that I didn't know. And I'm just experiencing it more as of late. And if you do bookkeeping, then they can tell you they have a credit card statement every month and they can tell you exactly what can be written off and where and they send you a statement every sheet, like a P&L, a profit loss statement, right? And you can actually see exactly how much write-offs you have year to date. You can actually see exactly what your bracket would be. If you just look at the bracket, you know exactly what your write-offs are. And so to have someone be a bookkeeper with corporate capital, what does that cost? Like if these guys wanted to call in and say, hey, I need bookkeeping, I want you guys to do my taxes, what's the bookkeeping portion going to cost and what do you get from that? Why would you want to do bookkeeping? Um, bookkeeping, I mean, just like Jake said, you know, when you do bookkeeping, you know exactly where you are at any given time. You know, for us, if it's some somebody like you and you in your group, what we would typically do is we would look at the number of transactions. So our minimum that we charge is about 250 but I can tell you $250 a month, and that includes the tax preparation at the end of the year. Um, I can tell you that most everybody in your group is going to fall through that $250 to $300 a month range max. I don't see them, you know, taking more than that or being more than that. And I can also tell you that I I wouldn't say 100% of the time, but I'd say 99% of the time you're going to get that money back. And that's going to come through a variety of ways, whether it's us tracking it, tax planning, you know, advising you as we're looking at these numbers. Um, when we do that bookkeeping every month, like Jake said, you get your financial statement. So you get your profit and loss statement, your balance sheet, and you will be able to see those numbers and be able to understand where you're at, you know, where you're trending and what tax ramifications you're going to be looking at at the end of the year. All that is discussed with us. We review the financials if you want to, uh, most business owners, to be honest, they just, they don't want to worry about it. They see the numbers. They may ask a few questions, but they don't really want to dig in. We're more than willing and ready to dig in because I would say as a business owner myself, you know, I understand accounting. I do it for a living. It's a little bit different. Most business owners don't understand accounting and because they don't understand accounting, they're afraid of that part of their business. Afraid as in, 
I'll get to it later. I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to kind of, you know, put it together um, and throw it out there or whatever. And most likely it's not going to be right. But what I'm saying is there's a benefit to having a professional do it. You're going to save money, whether it's us or someone else, a good accountant's going to get you your money back. And you as a business owner are going to know your numbers. So you don't need to know accounting, but you need to know your numbers because obviously if you guys are out on the road for half the year and you're not making any money, why do it? You know, you could go work at McDonald's for 10, $15 an hour and make money. For sure. You know, you don't have to worry about it. For sure. So Nate, you were saying 250 to 300 bucks a month is usually what everyone would fall into. That's for all the bookkeeping throughout the year. And that includes your tax return also at the end of the year. Oh, nice. And, and the reason behind that is because if we're doing your bookkeeping, we're, we're already doing your tax planning. So when it comes time to, to prepare the tax return, we're just entering numbers. Not a whole lot of thought is going into that because we've been doing that throughout the year. Dude, I mean, that sounds like a, that seems like a no brainer because already if you have an accountant, which most of our reps do, I would say 90% of our reps, at least our second year reps, first year, probably not. But our second year reps, they learn their lesson and they have an accountant in their second year and they probably pay them 800 bucks to a thousand bucks to do their tax return minimum, I would say. Like it sounds like a no brainer to pay a couple hundred bucks a month every month, pay a little bit more, but have way more accurate data and you have insight throughout the whole entire year and it makes the end of the year way less stressful. There is none of this like, oh, let me get you everything I ever had, all my receipts, all this. It's literally done. On December 31st, you could be done almost, right? I mean, for me, yeah. I love seeing my P&L every month and I look at that and I say, wow, I know exactly where I'm at. I know how much I've spent and how much I've made. I know how much I'm going to pay in taxes and how much I can invest and how much I can spend. Like, I feel like I have such a better handle on my life financially than I did last year, previous years, when I was just doing it at the end of the year. I was kind of watching it, but just kind of doing it at the end of the year. And so a question is, if you don't want to get audited, obviously having a bookkeeper is a huge first step because that's a flag to the IRS, like this guy's doing it right, right? But also, do you need to keep all your receipts? Do you need to, how do you prove that stuff? Is there receipts really needed or are they not? So nowadays, honestly, receipts, if you're audited from the IRS, so our experience, and again, most audits, I'd say 99% of the audits these days, unless it's really fraudulent case, you're gonna get a letter from the IRS and it's gonna ask, the first thing they're gonna ask for is bank and credit card statements. So the IRS has shifted from where you had all of your receipts saved in a box somewhere. Everything's digital these days. Now, if you have a cash receipt, so we got a lot of truck drivers that are clients of ours and they pay tolls in cash. The only way that we know that they've paid that is if they have that receipt. So I'd say anytime you pay cash, save that receipt. But if it's a credit card or a bank, a bank card check or whatever, if there's a digital record, you don't need to save receipts. Um, this year and next year in the past, when you've had, um, meals expenses, you've only been able to write off 50%. And so in the past, the IRS was, was adamant, save the receipt, who went to dinner, all this stuff in all the time that we've done, um, the audits, we've had audits come our way and they've looked at the meals. They have never asked for a receipt. So it's always the bank statement, credit card statements first. And then if there's, you know, different transactions that may need more detail, for instance, if they get a bank statement, they see a check, obviously they don't know who the check went to. So they ask for copies of the checks. 
Um, but mills this year and next year are written off at 100% instead of 50%. Um, so that's almost a guarantee that they're not going to worry about, you know, you providing a receipt and, and all of that. So I tell clients only save receipts for cash transactions. Um, it's never been an issue for us and I don't see it being an issue. The key is to keep your records and keep them straight. And I would say if we do your books and taxes, there's supposedly the IRS looks at that as being favorable. Now I've never seen if that's true or not, but I can tell you if you're audited and you're able to send them a, a profit and loss financial statement, a tax return prepared by a CPA, they are much less likely to come after more detail versus if they ask for this, this, and this, and you're like, uh, let me, let me get bake statement. I'll, I'll circle this circle that and they'll ask for your financial statements. You don't have them. That immediately tells them that you're probably not as organized. So just like we're talking about with Jake, it's automatic knowledge to know that if you're not doing your books, you're probably not hundred percent accurate in your, in your, numbers as far as reporting them on the tax return so they'll want to dig in a little bit deeper for sure are you not going to be audited if we do your books and taxes absolutely not we rarely have clients that go through audits but we do for various reasons whether it's just the random you know uh, pick of the the litter they just draw your name out of the hat or we have situations where clients especially last year with the pandemic we had clients making, you know, very little money, but had a ton in expense. So I'm expecting that to, to cause maybe a few more audits because the numbers are out of whack. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not a concern because those are legitimate expenses. We turn in the detail and the IRS goes away. So really, I've heard that too. I have a lot of just growing up in Alpine, a lot of neighbors that were accountants and business guys. And they were like, dude, if people that are legit do your taxes, you never have an issue. Like it's only the guys that are trying to do it on their own in their basement with receipts everywhere, don't even know what's going on. Those are the ones that have issues. And again, that alone should be enough of a reason to use an accountant, in my opinion. Just you don't have to deal with that later ever. And mills being 100%, dude, let's talk about that for a second. This year and next year, all mills are 100% write-off. Yeah, yeah, and, and I don't know, some political reason. Honestly, honestly, there's no rhyme or reason why they did it other than, you know, on the political side, someone was able to get there their little law passed. Yeah, 2021-2022, all mills are considered deductible. Of course, they've got to be business mills. You can't, you know, eat out on the IRS forever for free for, yeah. for a personal reason. So, again, anything pertaining to business, mills this year, next year, are written off at 100%, which is a huge thing um, for those of you that haven't done your own business or whatever. Um, having that 50 to hundred percent, that's a big, big deal to a lot of our clients. For sure. And I mean, really like they, I put almost every meal I eat on my business credit card because I say, I'm always talking solar. I'm always talking, you know, the company and power, whatever it is with somebody somewhere, anyone I eat with, I write off almost and just try and bring up solar in the conversation. Is that legit or am I making a mistake there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, you know, you want to be able to justify it's a business lunch or dinner or breakfast or whatever um if you're just going out with your wife you know just to to go have an early breakfast you guys know the difference you know don't don't act like oh i don't know taxes i don't know accounting i'm not sure yeah you do you know if it's business or For not sure. so it's it's an easy decision and again just just be honest and 
Um, you can still be honest, and if you have the right tax preparer or if you guys do it yourself and understand the tax strategies and, and laws out there, you really will be okay. You know, Again, if you make a lot of money, you're going to pay taxes. just is what it is, but the goal is to pay only what you owe and not any more than that. A question that I really want to cover too, Nate, is a lot of our guys, they're from Utah or from Alaska. Like They have their home state. And they go sell in Florida or California or Texas or wherever, like we've talked about a lot. And guys, if you guys ever call Nate, anyone listen to this podcast, because it'll be on our app forever. If you ever call Nate, he knows Empower. He knows what's going on here. He understands the business. I've worked with him for years and years. So he gets it. And how do these guys avoid, the question is, how do you avoid being classified as a California resident if you're really from Utah, but you live in California doing the job, how do you avoid becoming a Californian? I guess. So the tax law is you're a resident of wherever you spend the majority of the year. So, you know, out of the 365 days a year, let's say that you're in Utah 200, but you're in California the remaining 165 days, you're still a Utah residence, resident, even though you're in California. Now, if it's reversed, technically you should be a California resident filing California taxes. Now, there's some caveats there that you can get around. Not always, but there's certain situations like you guys are a pretty good example. Now, not all of you fall into this bracket where if you're an Alaskan-based company, you are an employee of an Alaskan-based company going out to California to work, you know, for this Alaskan-based company. So that's a way to kind of get around that that law. Now, if you if you're working and living in California 365 days a year and it's you're going to be there you know indefinitely you need to file in California and I can tell you California is the worst state in the 50 states of America in every way for business it just is for sure you know, the laws aren't favorable to business owners <clears throat> the taxes aren't favorable to business owners it's great if you're an employee but if you're an employer they make it very difficult and any way you can avoid that it's, it's going to benefit you in a number of ways. So let's talk about avoiding that real fast. So I think what you were saying is if you own an LLC or an S-Corp that's based out of a different state than California, for example, or Florida, but let's use California for our example. So if you own an S-Corp or an LLC in Utah and you're getting paid by that S-Corp or LLC in Utah, you could be in California all year. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Now, again, if it's if it's a multi-year, like if you're just always in California, then you need to start filing in California. There's a little window where I feel like in the first year, you know, you can kind of make the justification that as a first year business, trying to get your feet wet, trying to determine is it a long term deal, is it a short term deal? So you can be able to do that. Um, but like your your good example with your setup where we have a Utah LLC that's Filed as an S corp, so Jake's an S corp in Utah, but he'll go out to California often, and you know business. I don't know if you go out as much as you used to, yeah. Uh, but in the past, it was you you live there, but at the same time, you had your Utah based S corp that was paying you a salary, and so again, you're basically an employee on loan, um, working in California for this Utah based LLC or S corp or whatever it is. So the best going back to my my original statement, everybody's different, um, and you just want to make sure you can walk that line, but don't cross it. For sure, and there's a point where you may cross it, so just be careful. 
So really the best thing to do is set up an LLC and which we want to talk about this for a second anyways, but the best thing to do is set up an LLC or an S Corp in the home state you're from and do that for a while. And usually if you're in California for six to eight months working or whatever, you can, and you're still in Utah or in the other state sometimes, you'll probably be fine for a couple of years what you're seeing, right? Yeah, I, would, I definitely wouldn't go longer than a couple of years. And okay. again, if you're setting up residence in California, you know you're going to stay there long, just file in California. Um, California will come after you for every little thing. If they get a glimpse of you having presence in, in California, they'll want an explanation why you don't owe California income tax. Um, a lot of times it's an easy explanation, just like we're talking about, where you've got a, a Utah Alaskan based company, you're an employee of that company working, you know, on loan, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, Going back to why you want to set up an LLC corporation, you want to talk about that now? Yeah, I just talk about some other things. No, I think that's perfect. I think it's a great transition because a lot of our reps, usually what I've seen is our first year reps, they go out there with no LLC, no S Corp, they don't know what's going on, they just go out there and start selling solar. And they end up making money, they don't understand a write off, they don't understand taxes, they have no idea. And then usually second year reps are the ones that kind of transition to like, huh, maybe I should have had an LLC set up or maybe I should start using one credit card or having a business account or whatever it is. So let's talk about why do second year reps do that? What do they learn? Like if we want to kind of expedite the process for new guys, what's the point of having an LLC or an S Corp? Like why, just like in very layman terms, why would we even do that? Well, you've got, you can kind of look at it. Let's throw C Corps out of there because in your situations, the C Corp's not going to benefit you. It's not the way to go. So okay. let's throw that out of the equation. So that leaves you with a sole proprietorship, an LLC, or an S Corp. Those are basically your three that you have the, the option of, of doing with where you guys are at. So a sole proprietorship would be basically what a lot of your first reps are doing where they're getting a 1099, they don't have an LLC. And so on the tax return, it goes on the Schedule C on their personal tax return. The Schedule C is like a business tax return inside of your personal return. Okay. And so with that, the sole proprietor has no protection whatsoever, meaning if something happened where you guys were out on the road, you were driving your car, um, you know, you were in an accident, you were at fault or something like that, everything you guys own, both, both from the business personal, is going to be included in that lawsuit because nothing is protected. There's nothing that you have that can't be put up as collateral or taken as an asset to pay off a debt or whatever. Um, with a sole proprietorship, so we talked about income tax and the income tax brackets. The sole proprietor also on top of income tax that they have federal and state, if they have state income tax, there's an additional 15% that's included or not included that's taxed on top of regular income tax. And we were throwing out, you know, if you're a, a single filer making $100,000, that's your taxable income. You're going to pay 18% federal and an additional 15% in this self-employment tax. So self-employment tax is the way that the IRS makes up for you not earning a W-2 wage and having Social Security and Medicare taken out of your paycheck. So that's the way they recoup that. Um, an LLC... You have an LLC is exactly what it is. So LLC is limited liability corporation. That's what it stands for. Limited liability meaning 
we were talking about sole proprietor where all of your assets are exposed, a limited liability company doesn't have that same exposure. So if you have a, a company vehicle in the LLC or a building or whatever it is, um, that part of it is protected. So if you get in an accident or whatever, your personal and your business are two separate things. They can't both be brought into, you know, this lawsuit. And it's really convenient because going back to that example, if you guys are out on the road, you get in an accident, you're an employee of this LLC, only what's in the LLC is exposed. So you've got your personal residence, you've got your personal vehicle, you got whatever bank into the LLC. Um, Cause you have what they call this corporate veil, which is a separation between you as an individual and your business. Um, Nate, let me ask you a question that, real fast. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. So really yeah. off the beginning, like the first year reps that just show up, they're so a lot of our guys, they start hearing about LLCs and like, oh shoot, I'm screwed. I don't have one and it's been all year. So the first question is, even if you don't have one, you can still file taxes. You're still fine. You're a sole proprietor. You're on your own. It's, it's a little bit sketchy because if you had a hundred grand and you had someone try to sue you, they could take your hundred grand, I guess, right? Because it's not protected. But you can still file taxes. You're still fine as far as that goes. But you're going to pay a 15% self-employed, like a sole proprietorship fee, right? Being self-employed. Whereas right. if you transfer self-employment tax. Self tax. So whereas you transfer to an LLC, now you're protected and that 15% self-employment tax goes away. So no. So you okay. are protected. LLC, what that does is it protects all your assets, but okay. you still pay that 15% self-employment tax. So we're kind of looking at it like you got a sole proprietorship, an LLC, and an S Corp. Mm -hmm. um, kind of in those stages. So an LLC is still good. It has a lot of flexibility. It protects you. Um, a lot of times, guys that are starting out, an LLC may be the way to go. And I'll explain why in a second when we talk about S-corporations. So if you're getting your feet wet, it's good to form the LLC just for that protection aspect. Tax-wise, you're going to be pretty much like you were a sole proprietor, but you just don't have that protection when it comes to liability. Um, tell people again it's not a one-size-fits-all but generally you know you want to be making probably uh, just 60 to eighty thousand dollars gross um, before you want to look at switching to an escort and here's why so you've got your sole proprietorship your LLC escort is ideal because you have all that protection um, you have no self-employment tax, the extra 15% goes away. But the way the IRS makes up for that and allows for the self-employment tax to go away is as an S-corporation owner, you need to pay yourself a reasonable salary from your business. So that's the way we talked about because you weren't paying yourself a, a W-2 salary from an LLC or sole proprietorship, which most companies don't if you're just if you're a business owner in those two brackets. Um, as an S-Corp owner, you have to pay yourself. And through that W-2, every paycheck, you're having the Social Security and Medicare withheld. So that's getting rid of the, the extra self-employment tax. So that's why it works that way. You know, I, I'm so glad you caught my bluff because I, so I know that now, but I used to not know that. I used to think legit, if you had an LLC, that you're good. You don't need to pay yourself. You don't need an S-Corp, whatever. 
And that's something I've learned from Nate over the time is, guys, I was trying to see if Nate would catch what I said and he totally did. You'd notice he said, no, that's not correct. Just because you have an LLC does not mean that you automatically save the 15%. That's what a lot of our reps do. They, they set up an LLC and they think, okay, I'm done. I'm good to go. Really, it's set up your LLC, then like, transition that to an S corporation, and then pay yourself as an employee. So now you have a W-2 plus a 1099, right? You have both. And that's when you actually see the most tax savings. It's not just having LLC. Like the S corp is so pivotal. And now, I mean, you guys know, everyone on this call, Nate, you guys, I pay myself every month. You run my payroll, corporate capital does everything I need. And I'm a W-2 employee of my company within working at Empower still, right? On top of different things. And so now that's why I have the 50% savings because I pay myself as an employee. So I'm not self-employed completely, right? Is that the idea? Right. So the way to look at it, let's say you're an LLC. Let's say after all your expenses, you netted $100,000. So you've got $100,000 taxable income. That 100000 is exposed to not only income tax, but also 15%. So immediately you've got $15,000 you've got to pay for self-employment tax. If you're in the same scenario where you, after all expenses, net $100,000, that 100000 is just exposed to income tax. But, you know, you've paid yourself a W-2 salary. Uh, you have had taxes withheld. Um, but you're not taking the whole $100,000 and you know, paying yourself a W-2 and paying that all that Social Security and Medicare, there's there's a window there where there's going to be a bottom line that, that is not exposed to self-employment tax, and that's a benefit. And then also there are some other tax um, tax savings that you can take advantage of through tax strategy and stuff as an S-Corp that you can as a sole proprietorship or an LLC. Totally. So, so guys, I think, for example, I think I pay myself like 60 to 80K a year or something. I don't even know, right? Kind of varies, maybe a little bit more. Obviously, I make more money than that, but that's what I pay myself. So I'm paying the taxes on that amount, and I'm not paying the 15% on the whole amount, right? And that's why it's such a big savings that I didn't understand until I started seeing it in action over the last couple of years and moving on and learning more and more. And so if you're on this call right now, almost everyone listening to this podcast, Nate, is probably making 60 to 80K a year minimum. Gross. Like, I hope. If they're, if they're not, we have an issue, right? And I think they're all... Are you gonna, wait, wait, wait. Are you going to answer that question that just came over? Oh, that one. Yeah, I make about 72,000 a year is what I average. I know that you would make one or that you would answer that question. Yeah, yeah I, just, I just saw that one. <laughs> So, but no, really, if all of our guys are making 60 to 80K a year minimum gross, they should all be setting up an LLC and an S-Corp, right? Yeah, so again, LLC is what we usually start with, and there's, there's a variety of reasons for that. A lot of states, when you form an LLC in that state, it's cheaper to be an LLC than it is a, a corporation because when you form it, there's, there's license fees, your business license, and then every year you have to renew those licenses. Um, and it costs more as a corporation than it does an LLC, just just by name. Yeah. So generally, we'll always start people as an LLC for that reason. And also, it's flexible. So people that aren't quite ready to get to the S-Corp, they have this LLC, which protects them from a liability standpoint um, and then allows them when they're ready to transition to an S-Corp. Um, one, one thing to note on that is you cannot do that mid-year. So if you want to say... I want to form an LLC today, 
And then we'll see by the end of the year whether or not I transition to an S-Corp. You can't do that. It's got to be decided immediately or you have to wait until the beginning of the following year to become that, that S-Corp versus an LLC. So keep that in mind when you guys are, are debating on what to do or not. So um, Sorry, just real quick. Yeah. So I can't remember who I was talking with. Somebody from your group already had an LLC mm -hmm. and um, it had been established and, and whatever. So we didn't have the ability to change to an S-Corp. So I recommended to him starting up a new LLC, immediately claiming that S-Corp status so that he could get that benefit. And basically that either that LLC either kind of goes away, dissolves it, or it just sits there for future use for something else. Yeah. Um, but that way he was able to, to, you know, gain the benefit of an S-Corp versus the LLC. Dude, I didn't know that. So if you, because again, Nate, you, you deal with a lot of our employees now. I don't even know how many Empower guys you have. But I didn't know that if you, if someone came to you with an LLC already existing, they can't transition that to an S-Corp later because it's already existed. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you have, once you form it, you basically have a 60-day window. It's a little bit longer, but we always say 60 days because the IRS is so bad and, yeah. and, and, you know, doing all the paperwork. So we always say 60 days is the cutoff. So once you form an LLC, you have 60 days to decide if you're going to be an S-Corp. If you don't, then they won't allow you to become an, an S-Corp until the 1st of January of the following year. Okay. So that's how that works. So you have to wait all, that's what you're saying. So you can keep it, but you just have to wait all year to do it again. So, right. and that's, so if you right. want to do it in the current year, then you have to build a new one. But if you don't, if you want to wait, then you can still use the existing LLC. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. And so usually, maybe if you're a first-year rep on the call or listen to this podcast, you should definitely set up an LLC now when you're making 60 to 80K. And if next year you expect to make 200K, that's when you should make sure that transition happens to an S-Corp, figure all that crap out. Right. And guys, that's what's so pivotal, like pivotal about talking to Nate and Corporate Capital or any accounting group, not just you guys, but it's so good to convey with them what you think you're going to make next year like some small forecasted decisions, just so they can help you put money in the right places, do the right things for taxes, have an S-Corp, figure out what to pay yourself, all this stuff. And so I tell Nate every year, I think next year will look something like this. I think next year will look something like this. And he tells me, oh, well, if it's gonna look like that, you should probably start doing this and this and this now. Or you should plan on doing this and this and this throughout the year. Or pay yourself this amount as a S-Corp you know, W-2 employee or whatever it is. And so I think we have a question on here that's, how do you feel about Keeper Tax or similar apps? I don't even know what Keeper Tax is. That must be some sort of accounting app. But how do you feel about using a TurboTax or a Keeper Tax or whatever, opposed to using a real accounting firm? Well, honestly, I don't have any issue with you guys doing your own thing. I'm just saying... If you hire a good account, they're going to pay for themselves. And unless you are an account by trade, unless you know tax law, because you got to think tax law changes every year, never stays the same. It's always changing. So if you keep up on that and you know that well enough, then by all means, save the money. You know, I'm looking at it from a business standpoint. I'm a business owner. I don't want to spend the money. But at the same time, don't be dumb and cheap. Be like, oh, I don't want to spend, you know, $2,500 because I'm going to do it myself. 95% of business owners say that same thing. And we hear from them like a year or two later when they're in, yeah, they either haven't kept track of anything. They haven't filed their taxes or both of the, the above. We get it all the time. So I'm just telling you it's reality. 
you guys make your money by being out on the street or you know meeting with with potential clients that's how you make your money you're not making your money by doing tax planning at night guaranteed you guys that's the last thing you're going to want to do at the end unless you're an accountant by trade which if that's the case you're probably not going to be doing what you're doing for very long you're going to become an accountant and do that for a career yeah so i'm all about business i'm a I'm a business owner that's very, very, um, I don't know, stingy is the right word. Frugal, maybe. But yeah, frugal, definitely. More so on the business side than the personal side. Because on the business side, not only am I taking care of me and my family, but I'm also taking care of several other families. So it's things like, I mean, just to give you an example, you know, like toilet paper. So I'm in charge of the office just making sure that we get all that stuff. There's been times where I've ordered recycled toilet paper that's like the cheapest of cheap, and I get complaints all the time. But it's fine. You know, if, if, if people need expensive toilet paper, they can go buy it. So there's certain, where, certain areas in your business where you can save and not feel the effects. Like, honestly, I don't care if I get complaints about sandpaper toilet paper. I could care less. But... If I have like our IT company, for instance, we outsource our IT company. If we had a bad IT company, you can imagine, especially with today and all the hackers out there, what a big deal that would be if we didn't protect ourselves. It's a, a bill I don't like paying because it's just money that honestly, you don't see the benefit until something bad happens. Um, but it is there. And it's the same when it comes to hiring account. And having dealt with a lot of your guys, I can tell you a lot of your guys are cheap. Yeah, And I think a lot of that has to deal with first year business owners where they're like, you know, I'm just getting into this. I don't understand it. Um, oh, it's that much. I don't want to pay that much. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you our prices are very, very reasonable with the industry. Um, they just are. And I can also tell you that if you come to us for taxes, not again, not a hundred percent of the time, but very, very close to hundred percent of the time, you're going to make more than what you paid us you know, and tax savings and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, talking about Jake and how we've dealt with each other, not only I feel like have we saved him in taxes, but also on his personal side, as far as the future, retirement, things like that, you know, things that we discuss, that's all kind of being set up as we're progressing. So he may not see the benefit today, but he will in the future. And that's what it's all about, you know, saving your money for yourself, not paying more taxes than you need to and doing it the right way. That's all you got to worry about. For sure. I I think it's a no-brainer. I think you're totally right. As a new rep at our company or even new to business, I think, not just in this industry, but new to business, you try and cut corners and be cheap and not do it the right way and whatever. And I'm learning year after year after year that that's not the way to do business. Like all the time, like when they, when you tell me something, I'm like, all right, done. You're like, hey, you start doing this. It costs 200 bucks a month. I'm like, all right. Let's do it. Whereas year one, I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like five years ago, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like that's, I'll do it myself. I'll figure it out. And now I'm like, no, whatever you say, like I'll do it because I see the big picture. And that's why it's so cool to work with corporate capital and a plug for you guys. Anyone listening to this, guys, Nate is not a salesman. Nate does not want to be a salesman. He, he doesn't like sales. I tell him he should be a salesman because he's so personable, but he's not. He doesn't like sales. And he does not care if he gets one more customer or client from this call. They have a lot of work. They have thousands and thousands of clients. But it's so cool to work with you guys because it's like a financial planning session almost. It's like a financial planning, advising, tax strategy, retirement, 
entities. Like it's so many things in one. And so my two cents on Enzo's question about like apps, you just, you're not going to get that from an app. You just are not. Like it's so much, it's so worth your money to have that peace of mind and the future plan that I would never, after being in business all these years, I would never trust an app after being what I know now. Whereas I can totally see myself year one being like, oh yeah, I'll totally use that app from the app store that costs 10 bucks a month for my accounting or whatever it is. Like I can just see the transition, the change. And so another question is, what about Venmo for purchases? Or what about Venmo? What This question doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it says, what about Venmo is done for business purposes? That's similar to cash, but there's no physical receipt. I guess if you're using Venmo to pay for stuff, how do you go about that? We have some clients that use Venmo. Uh, we got a really big, big client, a client that sells sports cards, and they get Venmo payments, and it's really hard to track. So with them, um, it worked, we do all their accounting. We get access to their Venmo account, and we say all we see is payment from Jake to Nate. Yeah. But with them, we know that it's for a sports card. Like that's what their their business is. Yeah. If you're going to use that. Only use it for a specific thing where you can say, you know, I've always paid them, you know, to reimburse my buddy because we went to lunch or whatever for meals. Um, in the Venmo description, you can write what the the um, payment was for. So there is a little bit of a record, but try not to use Venmo. Um, you can, you just have to keep more record of it. Um, it's not as good as a bank or a credit card where it shows the place and, and all that. Yeah. For all the IRS knows, it's a, a payment for me to you just because it had nothing to do with business. So you can use it, but you need to keep more more detail as far as what, what it was for. And if you do that, when you write the description, when you pay somebody, you know, that may alleviate that. It's just, it's more of a pain to track. That's really all it is. For sure. And obviously, Nate, something I want to transition to is, now that we kind of understand, all right, we make money, we pay taxes. But a way to avoid that is get an LLC, get an S-Corp, pay yourself, do a few different things. Now that we talk about that, after a while, you start buying stuff like cars and trucks and writing those off. And that's something that I think everybody wants to understand more about is everyone wants to go buy the nice truck, myself included, or the nice car or whatever it is, and then write it off later. How does that work? When it comes to cars, obviously, that's like the biggest topic I hear about all the time. People call me like I'm their accountant and I just call you and ask you the question and call them back and answer their question. But I get called about cars all the time. So really the rule is it has to be 6,000 pounds or heavier to write it off completely, right? Yeah, so yes and no. So in year one, if it's a vehicle that weighs over 6,000 pounds, you can write off 100%. If it's less than 6,000 pounds, it takes three to five years depending on the type of vehicle and, and whether it's used or new. Um, it takes three to five years. So you can write off 100%. It just may be in year one or it may be three to five years from now. And that's the depreciation on the vehicle. So you buy it up for $100,000. You can write the full $100,000 off in year one if it's a $6,000 and above. If not, it may be there's different uh, depreciation schedules. So maybe it's 20% the first year, 30% the second year, 25% fourth year. So there's there's varying schedules that, that it goes off of. One thing to keep in mind, and Jake ran into this, um, he had purchased the truck and then sold his truck. So when he purchased his truck, we wrote off the 100% in year one. 
when he sold his truck and let's just say he bought it using easy numbers let's say it cost him 50,000 he sold it for 25 so he he buys it for 50,000 he gets a $50,000 tax write off in year 1 next year because he's a wheeler dealer he goes and sells his truck cuz he doesn't want it anymore <laughs> and let's say he gets $25,000 on it. that 25,000 now becomes taxable because you've already gotten a tax break in year one. So that 25,000 is exposed to capital gains. Capital gains at this point are taxed at zero, 15 and 20%. Um, Biden is coming in proposing some crazy numbers. Um, so that's to be determined, but as of right now, that's kind of how capital gains work. So just know if you write off any amount, whether it's the full amount, a partial amount and sell your vehicle for more than what you've written down to. So you buy that vehicle, 50,000, you write off 10, 10, down to 30,000, you sell it for 40,000, you've got a $10,000 gain that you've got to pay taxes on, capital gains tax. So just keep that in mind. We got a lot of business owners that they'll buy this truck for $100,000. They want a new truck a year or two later. The depreciation, we've used it all, uh, but the cost of the truck or the value, I should say fair market value of the truck has now gone way down just because that's what vehicles do. He'll trade in his vehicles every year or two. It's not a good way to go, but if you got a ton of money you don't know what to do with, it'll save you a few thousand in taxes, um, but he's losing money overall. Again, going back to the original where you're talking about, you you got guys that are like, oh, I made 100,000, I don't wanna work more because I don't wanna pay taxes. It's that same mentality where he's thinking, I don't wanna pay taxes, but he's paying $10,000 out of his own pocket to save 3000 in taxes. It's just stupid logic. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's smart. So Nate, you can, if you buy a smaller car or like any car, you can still write it all off. It just might take more time. So what's the downside of that? Like, why does it matter if it takes more time? If you're going to write it off anyways, why does that matter? It only matters if you've got a year where you've made a lot of money and you're looking for that immediate write off. So, you know, let's say you made $200,000, it's taxable income. You buy a $100,000 truck, it'd be nice to write off that full 100,000 to where now you've got a new truck and you're only paying taxes on 100,000. If you get a new car, you know, just like a regular passenger vehicle, maybe it's $50,000, you've got that 200,000, you can only write off 10. So it's, you can see the difference. And then the um, next year, you term, might not make any money, right? Like the next year, right. if you had a bad long year. Long term, it's not going to make much difference. But short term, that's a huge difference. Especially because you don't know what your future holds, right? The next four years that you're supposed to be writing that off, you might be making 200 grand this year, but next year, 50, 50, 50, 50, just for example, right? And then you don't need to write off anymore. Yeah. And another thing to that point is if we do your taxes and when it comes to filing your tax return, we have, okay, you bought that 100,000 truck. We know you've made this amount for 2021. 2022, it's looking like you're going to double that amount. So maybe in 2021, even though it's a big, big difference for you to write down that full hundred, it may actually benefit you to wait until 2022 and then take a little portion to 2021 and, you know, a little bit more in 2020 and do that three to five year because overall, as weird as it sounds, it may actually save you money. And that's why. So again, another talking. another good reason to to have a tax preparer because they can look at that. 
Jace had a question of, can you write off a truck 6,000 pounds plus after the first year, like second year? And you just kind of answered that, right? It doesn't really matter when you write it off. Yeah, so the way it works with a business asset is once you put it into the business, you can start writing it off. So if you put it into business 10 years ago and you haven't written it off, you're already, you've already been using it as a vehicle, a business vehicle, and that window of opportunity for depreciation is out the door. So if you have, like with you guys, you got new reps that have come out that have started this year possibly, um, they could look at it like a car that they bought back in 2010, whatever. So a really long time ago, but they just started this business, started to use that car for the business. That's when the car was put into the business. So even though, though the car is really old, as far as from a business standpoint, it's a fresh asset and they can write it off. It's just, you have to write off the current fair market value. So if you bought it back in 2010 for 100,000, it's probably not worth that right now. It's going to be, you know, 10,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. That's the amount that you would write off. Yeah, that makes sense. And really quick, when you buy these vehicles or buy these large ticket items, do you need to buy them through your LLC or through your S Corp? Does that, does that name need to be on the title or can you just buy it through your own name and just say it's for the business? at any point if you can get to where the, the asset is in the business name it's better it's not always necessary and the reason I say that is through your business so if you form an LLC or a corporation um, you keep what they call meeting minutes so as things happen in your corporation or LLC you write documentation of what's happening mm -hmm. so if you've got a, a car that maybe it was in Jake Ebert's name you just started your business you want to put it in the business as an XYZ LLC yeah. asset, then you can write those meeting minutes up to do that. You can also get it changed, your, the title, stuff like that. It's a little bit of a hassle, especially with new LLCs and corporations, but it can be done. Um, so I would just say, if you can do it, great. If you can't, you're probably gonna be okay. Not the end of the world. Yeah, cause I, I mean, I've, I've done both, I think. I think some of my vehicles I bought through LLCs, I think some I just bought my own name and it's worked out either way, but definitely, what about leasing vehicles? If you decide to lease a vehicle, you write the whole lease payment off, or how does that work? Yeah, so a lease is not an asset. So you don't own the vehicle, so it's nothing that you can depreciate. But yeah, the, the plus side of that is if you go in to lease a vehicle, they're going to require a down payment of some sort. You can write that whole down payment off, any lease payment, monthly payment, um, any you know expenses that come along with the vehicle. If you buy a car, you've got that depreciation and you're making your monthly payment if you finance it, you can't write off that full monthly payment. You can only write off the interest portion. Unless then, it's above 6,000 pounds, right? What size of the vehicle? Oh, wow. Okay. It's just, you know, look at it like you get this car or truck. Let's say your monthly payment, you're financing it. Uh, let's say your monthly payment's $1,000, 200 goes to principal, 800 goes to or sorry, 200 go to interest, 800 goes to principal, that 200 can be written off, but the 800 cannot because you're already depreciating the asset. You're getting a benefit from the asset itself, but that interest is considered above and beyond, you know, what you got the asset for. And so it's considered an expense. But if you pay so in both scenarios, you write off fuel, maintenance, you know, whatever else that has to do with yeah. taking care of the car. It's just in those scenarios, that's how they're, diff they're different from a tax standpoint. And so when you write buy a car in cash and have no payments, you're just depreciating the whole hundred grand, just depreciation, right? Correct. So that's why if you lease it, that could be a good move sometimes because you just write the whole lease off, 
write everything off, it's 100% write off. Off your, so either way, it's kind of similar because you're saving 30% on taxes either way, kind of thing. But so what's what's usually better, buying it or leasing it? Do you think? So you got to look at leasing it is like you're renting an apartment. There is no value there at the end. You're okay. just renting it, and you got to turn it back. There's the the requirements. You can only drive so far, or else you get penalty. Yeah. Um, Really, the only people that, that lease are people that like to turn around their car every few years, you know, get a new car every few years. But from a financial standpoint, it's probably not the best move unless you get one heck of a deal out of, outside of the norm. Yeah. But you're always going to lose out on the value because you have nothing at the end versus if you've got this car, yeah, it's, it's this, you've paid this just like a house at the end. You can always resell that asset for money. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, dude, we have covered so many good things. We've answered lots of questions. What we do is we'll upload this to our podcast and everyone can listen to this over and over again. But Nate, was there anything else that you feel like we didn't cover today that people ask you all the time or that I've asked you a bunch of times about or that reps, that my reps have been calling you about? Is it, or have we covered a lot, you think? We've covered a lot. One thing I would say, again, from a business owner standpoint, um, just like Jake was saying, you know, I'm not saying I don't want your business. It'd be great, but this isn't a plug for corporate capital. I want to make that clear. Like yeah. I didn't get on this saying, Hey, I want all your guys to come to us. And that's why I'll do that. That has nothing to do with it. I really enjoy talking to business owners, trying to help them figure out how to, to become better at whatever they do, make more money, pay less in taxes. That's really what I enjoy. The money, if you treat your business that way, it just kind of follows. You know, so we do well as a firm. We've got a lot of clients. We're growing like crazy. We just hired new pe- two new people yesterday because we couldn't handle the book of business we did have. And again, that's not a plug because we're so great. There's a lot of firms that can do what we do. There just is. Find the right one, whether it's us or somebody else. You want somebody that's going to be straight up front and honest with you. They don't want to tell you the things that you want to hear. You don't want that type of account. You want somebody to be strategic you want somebody to be honest and they want you want somebody that's going to be on your team um a lot of times if you're just handing over documents to a tax preparer cpa you know in february of next year they could care less about your business they're just hurrying to get it done yeah and that's just the way it is because they don't have time to spend with you and do that so you know another asset of of having the, the bookkeeping and someone doing the accounting throughout the year is you're getting treated you know the best way you you can be treating you're really getting the help you need as new business owners and maximizing that bottom line so again whether it's us or somebody else find that right person if you guys really feel like you can do it put in the work to know the no tax law to know the strategies that are out there one thing that we didn't touch on and we just started this with jake is doing some tax strategies on top of regular tax write-offs um, that we've found. We spent a lot of time as a firm this past year putting it together um, where it is, I mean, you know, it's one of those where I don't want to tell you what to do because you kind of, if they do that, there's no value. We charge a lot of money to do this with people. Um, just a, for instance, a client yesterday, we've done a lot of business with, we put this package together. Top of just the regular things that we've been doing throughout the years, he's going to save about $40,000 every year if everything stays the same and we charged him ten thousand dollars so from a business standpoint writing that ten thousand dollar check may be tough but you're saving forty thousand so you're netting thirty thousand in savings so it's a no-brainer 
And again, people can do that. Just find the right people to, to work with. Don't be cheap. Being cheap and being frugal are two totally different things. Be smart about the things you spend your money on. Definitely. I would tell you people all that or tell people that all day long. Do not spend money you don't need to spend because you need to put the money where you need to in order to make your business grow and maximize that bottom line. Those are two totally different things. So that's all I got to say. No, I love it. I'm, I'm so glad you did. Yeah, like I said, guys, Nate, he's not a salesman. He'll never tell you to come work with corporate capital. He's doing this purely because he's my friend that we've worked with each other for years and years. I also know him on a very personal level. He's a great guy. And so obviously I would refer anybody to corporate capital and to have them work with you guys. And so if someone did want to work with you guys, what's the best process? What's the number they call? Do they email somebody? How do you want that to happen? I've gotten so bombarded that it's it's tough. And maybe some of your guys will attest to the fact, like initially I get right back to them and now it's it's taken a while. Yeah. It's getting too many because because I'm not the typical CPA where I, you know, I want to talk, I want to, you know, figure out more than just send me your number sort of thing. It takes a lot of time. So what I would say is just, you know, you can reach out to me, but don't be offended if I hand you off to somebody on our team. Um, I feel fully confident in anybody that we've hired that they're going to do exactly what I would do. Yeah. It's a different person, different personality. That's all you're doing. Everything else is the same. You're still benefiting from that. So um, I don't know if, if you want to publish our information or, or how you want to get our information out, but um, I can give you my cell phone, but I don't want it. I'm going to give you my corporate That's what I was going to say. I think you should do that. The thing about your group is they're great at texting on Sunday, and I do not. <laughs> I turned, That's the one day I have where if, if I worked that day, I would be without a wife. For sure. So I turned my phone off, and very, very rarely will you hear back from me. Um, so my corporate telephone number is 702-623-2649. So that's my direct extension, my direct phone number. Um, if it ever comes to the point where you talk to me again, we'll figure out what you're doing, where you're at. If I don't answer, I'll call you back ASAP, promise. We've got calls coming in all day long, so I'm not always able to take your phone call, but I'll get back to you and, um, yeah, we'll be able to get you on your way. So probably best Monday through Friday, call that number. It'll get through to you. You'll pass them through to somebody else or yourself, whatever's, whoever's available, right, to take their call or to work with them, and you'll get the ball rolling, right? And everyone they work with has been trained by you personally. So I'm the same way. I've worked with multiple. Uh, actually, whoever does my bookkeeping, Jalisa, I think your name is or something like that. Like she's been awesome. Nate, just one of Nate's employees. So anyone that works corporate capital, I fully approve of as well. So Nate, thanks so much, dude, for your time. Thanks for being on the call. Thanks for being on the podcast. We'll get it uploaded so you can listen to it and share it with all your friends and all your fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I bet. I'll probably fall asleep like after the guys on this call have done. No. But, uh, no, serious, guys. This is something that you need to do for your business. Just do it. You know, take the leap of faith, and I promise you, you'll, you'll see the benefits. So yeah. I wish the luck to, you know, best of luck to all of you. I really do. Uh, you don't have to come to corporate capital for me to cheer for you. So hope it all works out. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Have a good day. For once in a lifetime, you need to never stop improving. The constant focus on individual growth. How will you be financially free? Welcome to the Empower Podcast.